Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside, told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, this is a special edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Ah, that was not planned. And our Coffee Conversations is back after a two-year hiatus due to the uh, pandemic. But you know what? We're back in the community where we belong because we're talking about issues that are important to the neighborhood, issues that are important to your quality of life. And we want to welcome everyone who's listening via our live stream on Facebook and YouTube, as well as Closer Looks Facebook page. Today, we're in South Atlanta. At Community Grounds Cafe. That's it, the show's over. Um, (laughs) We're going to talk about all those issues that are important, not only to this community, but all the communities. As we all know, Atlanta is changing. And depending on whom you ask, it's for the good, uh, it's challenging, or it's very, very concerning. And so we are very excited today. A little bit later, we're going to talk to Atlanta City, City Council Member Jason Winston. Also, later in the program, we'll talk about urban farming because that's a big part of this community. But we are so thankful to the entire staff here at Community Grounds Cafe. And so what else better way to get started to get a little bit of backstory about this particular location, about this community? I want to welcome in Jeff Delp. He is with, you know what, I've, I came here, what, a few years ago, right? You did. And you were like, I, we, we gonna make it. We're gonna make it. We make, we're still, still here. here. And you're still, still here. here. Uh, a little bit of backstory first for folks that don't know, because Community Grounds Cafe and then the Carver Market, it's a unique structure. Take our listeners through how all this came together. Sure. So Carver Market and Community Grounds are operated by a nonprofit called Focus Community Strategies. Uh, FCS has been around for about 40 years. Uh, started in Grant Park, moved here to South Atlanta in 2001. And you mentioned the city's changing, and we know that. Um, but our unique lens on that is how can we embrace that change? Even How can we make that change be good for those that have lived here for a long time? Let me ask you this. Someone who's listening says, okay, Rose, you're in the South Atlanta neighborhood. I live up in Alpharetta. I'm not sure what this, is, this South Atlanta neighborhood is about. What is it about this neighborhood that's unique? What do you want folks to know? So we are a mile south of the old Turner Field, and I believe that this is the best neighborhood in the city. Of course, everyone says that, right? Uh, but we are a small town in, in a large city, right? And so I can walk down the street better yet. My kids can walk down the street better yet. These young uh, folks who just moved into the neighborhood can walk down the street, and people know each other, right? And we, can, and we look out for one another. Uh, and FCS was invited here in part because there was a generation of seniors mm-hmm. who grew up in this neighborhood in the 1930s and 40s who were at the later part of their life in the 90s and wanted to see their neighborhood become what it was back in the 30s and 40s and they would talk about how they would walk these streets and their you know someone else's mom would yell at them because they were throwing stones at the building oh i've been there i'm sure you have and i've thrown some stones (laughs) and as as if i (laughs) hopefully my kids haven't anyone here i've seen my kids do it uh but that's what i love and that's what makes this great place let me ask you this because in 2009 when you all first opened how would you describe this neighborhood in terms of food equity, because that's a big part of what we're going to talk about today. What was the nearest grocery store back in 2009? So it hasn't changed. It's still four miles away. So we are a donut. So there is a grocery store four miles to our east, to our north, to our south, and to our west. But in between there, there's literally not a major grocery store that um, is within walking distance. So uh, literally, if we were out of bananas, the next closest banana is three miles away. Let me ask you this, because often we talk about, well, it's that G word, gentrification. Mm -hmm. How do you feel about that word, Jeff? I think it is a word that tries to encompass too many things. That it yeah. is, there's many more problems than one word can solve, right? And so from, from, as a business operator, 
we need more people to survive. One of the reasons why we don't have more businesses in neighborhoods like South Atlanta, because you asked about 2009, mm -hmm. we probably had half the people living in our neighborhood than we do now. Mm -hmm. like, neighbors need more people to be here, but the change that comes doesn't have to be at the expense of those who've been here for a long time. But how do you, as a stakeholder here, how do you, as someone Im embedded in the community, does your voice carry weight? Depends who you ask. Well, we're going to ask the council member a little bit later. <laughs> um, so, uh, so I've been fortunate to live here for 20 years. Mm -hmm. So over that time, we've built a little bit of street cred with, with neighbors, um, raised my family here, but now operate a business here. And so that longevity over time, particularly when your motives are what we think are true and honest, allows you to build relationship and build trust. And the trust, like, I think people's reaction, a negative reaction to change is often out of lack of trust. Tell me how do you see true defined trust when it comes from a developer wanting to come into the community? You might say it now because you may not get another chance. <laughs> so I think, I think it's hard when you have a large scale. So one thing that's helped South Atlanta is we have not had a mega project. Right? We haven't had a Pont City Market. We haven't had a Pittsburgh Yards. We haven't had an Atlantic Station. Right? So when you have a big, massive project come in with a large developer like a Jamestown, they may have the best intentions in the world, but it's still massive change quickly. Small incremental change over time makes it much more palatable for people. You, won't, you don't notice a change, right? So if you look back 20 years ago to now, you can't point to a singular, singular moment where this is what changed that. Does this community need a, a anchor development? I would say no, we don't. We don't need an anchor. What we need is long, sustained, incremental growth that allows for affordability, allows for good transportation, uh, and allows for businesses to come in um, over time that, that people who live here can run their own business, right? So when, so Publix is going in down the street yeah. in Summerhill, which is great, people are happy about that, that's fine. But if you notice, the businesses that are popping up around there aren't mom and pop shops from the neighborhood, right? right? And so the, the larger anchor things that we talk about often come with corporate larger, out, not from the neighborhood businesses. And so for us, we would rather see that growth be um, more in, indigenous to the neighborhood. You all own this property and the, and the property where the market is. How yep. many times or how often do you get folks knocking saying, how much y'all want for this? Um, so my phone is on silence um, <laughs> in large part because I get like literally 10 calls a day. Um, it is, really? Yeah, it's not. And, but, and some of that is about my house as well. So down the street, I live four blocks from where I work. How, how much are they uh, trying to offer you? You can say it. For the building? Yeah. I, I don't answer the calls. So every now and again, I'll respond back like, hey, how about 10 million? And no one's ever <laughs> said yes. So, so somewhere less than, <laughs> less than 10 million. How much uh, for your house? Uh, again, I've never actually talked to somebody, but I'll, I'll say a million for the house, and no one's ever taken me on, the, on that either. Really? But, uh, but no, my dad gets calls. My dad's in Pennsylvania, and he gets calls from people to buy my house. He's like, why, why are people, Jeff, you still on your house? Like, what does nope. it say to you about all the calls you get for this property in your house? It says there's people out there who are ready to, to pounce and pray on the neighborhood. But they, they don't have the best interests of the neighborhood at heart. I see folks shaking their heads, pounce and pray. That's a good name for a documentary. <laughs> about land acquisition in certain communities. Yep. Tell me about your employees here. So we have about 20 employees, um, and uh, most of them live within walking distance, about a 15-minute walk. Um, I think today we have 10 people on staff, and only two of them drove, drove the cars here. So it is really a local, localized um, employee, employee base. Um, Many are part-time. We, ha we have a couple high school students that work with us. We're right next to Carver High School, and mm -hmm. so they walk over here after school and, and finish out their day with us, um, which we love. My first job was at a, was at a grocery store as yeah. a, in, in high school, and so um, and it's probably the best thing that I get to do as, as part yeah. of the job is to provide, provide an opportunity for people to be employed, be employed locally. Uh, for a mom to be close to their, her kid's school mm -hmm. is, is life-changing, right, particularly when, particularly when transportation is a challenge. Uh, programming, you know, we want to let folks know we had reached out to Governor Brian Kemp. There was a, we thought he might show up. He still might show up. I don't know. <laughs> Governor Kemp, you're right down the street. If you're listening, pop over. But you had a, a, some questions because you wanted to talk about the importance of transit and, tran and, and, and mobility issues for your employees. And you tweeted something today about a commute for one of your employees. Yeah, she's actually back behind the bar. So maybe she should come over here and talk on the, on the air. But yeah, so yesterday I had an employee who spent five hours getting to and from work. Uh, in the morning, a couple of buses canceled. 
And in the afternoon, two buses didn't show. I actually saw her sitting at the bus stop, and so I gave her a ride to the, to the train station. But that's not an uncommon story. So a six-hour shift turned into an 11-hour day um, to go, I think I believe it's five miles, um, uh, roughly. Was the bus route that used to run here, was it eliminated? No, the bus still operates, but Marta's dealing with um, staffing shortages and, and whatnot. So two buses in the afternoon were canceled, and in the morning, two buses were, were canceled as well. It's still, it is an hour and a half trip, even without cancellation, so still a lot longer than it needs to be. But, it, I mean, to, to stay motivated to get to work yeah. when literally half of, your, half of your day is just getting to and from work, is, that's pretty challenging. When you think about transit, and transit is a quality of life issue. Mm -hmm. When we talk about workforce development, education, health and wellness, health and wellness, transportation, transit mobility is a big part of that for your employees who have to spend that amount of time just commuting, getting here, but also to being able to live in the community. Let's talk about the, the affordability in this. Yeah. Everybody looking at me. Let's talk about the affordability in this neighborhood. Uh, you've seen it change since 2009. Yeah. Um, so for me, transit is part of the affordability, right? So you have to. You can't just talk about housing prices. You have to talk about housing prices and the cost of transportation. So I might be able to afford to live, move, you know, 30 minutes away, but I got to have a car to do that. So you got to add those two together. You uh, live here. But I do live here. Most yes. of your employees are they renters? Um, Do you know? Most are no. There's a, well, so FCS does have uh, a housing component to the, uh, attached to us. Right. So um, we have either sold or rent to a lot of our a lot of our employees, and some are, are on the market as well. But um, it has got, definitely gotten more expensive. Everything everything has. Um, so affordability is an issue. But we have spent 20 years. Uh, as an organization trying to preserve affordability in the neighborhood. I want to ask folks, and you can just yell it out in, in the community, what's the average rent in this neighborhood right now? Yell it out. 1500 1800 anybody? 10000 <laughs> But it's changed, right? Is there affordable housing in this community, in the South Atlanta neighborhood? Yes, no? I'm getting a no. Oh, someone said according to the bell line. So we have just, we are about to open up an 84 unit um, housing complex about half a mile from here. That was a um, tax credit deal that we were working with Penrose uh, developers to, to build. And so that's the first large, outside of AHA has a property right. just around the corner. Uh, so there is, there is an AHA property in the neighborhood uh, that it should provide affordability. Okay. And then we, we are developing an 84 unit um, apartment complex. But single family housing is hard to keep affordable. It's really, really hard to keep affordable. The average rent in that, those 84 units that you all are building, do you have an idea? I'm not the housing guy. I'm going to say in, in the $1,200 range. Which um, is uh, which considering. Is not, yeah, which is, but it's in line with all the other, you know, yeah. affordability stats around the city. So it fits the 60% AMI, 80% AMI, and, and all that. So you can pay less than that. So I think a full market rates would be 1200 but if you can come in underneath that. How concerning is, concerning is that for you when you think about as this neighborhood's change and you have to, and you're going to have developers coming mm -hmm. in, Jeff. Let's be really clear yeah. about that. That that's what you can't control. You cannot control the market right here, but you have developers coming in. Do they talk to you at all about the community? Do you have those conversations? We do. So we have, you know, looking out the window right now, there are four very large projects going yes. in, actually five very large projects going in, and we've had conversations with a number of them. Um, and again, they say all the right stuff. Uh, and I say probably two of them have lived up to what they, to the questions they've asked, right? And like so, what? Um, so there's a senior apartment complex going in over here, and we've talked to them about getting access from their um, from their building to the grocery store because yeah. they were planning on putting a fence that would have prevented people from walking um, over wait, here. Wait, wait, stop! What? Yes. Yeah. So this is the stuff that happens, right? So there um, there is a 150 unit apartment complex going in across the street, and the main way in and out for cars is off of Lakewood Boulevard, right. Lakewood Avenue. And so they were going to fence in the rest of the property. Uh, and But literally, if these houses weren't here, you could see it. So a 500-foot a, a walk was going to turn into a three-quarter of a mile walk for someone to get to a grocery store. And so as a city, we, don't, we often don't think about this or talk about it or, or we developers aren't forced to think about people who aren't driving, right? right? So all the rules are for about, we need to have certain number of parking spots. We need to have one way in, one way out for, for cars. And so as we write legislation, Jason and Doug, <laughs> you all are in the room, uh, we need to make sure that we are including 
people get around other ways. Things that, and AHA, Atlanta Housing, um, ha, there are people who live less than half a mile from mm -hmm. our building, right. but, they, but it takes over, uh, over a mile to walk here because the whole property is fenced, fenced. And so literally, you can make an argument that AHA is creating a food desert, according to the USDA standards, simply by fencing in their property. Now, you know, people who live there might, might feel safer because this property is fenced in. So it's a complicated question, right? You can't just take the fence down because then people will complain. Well, well fenced in from what? I mean, who, who are they trying to protect them from? Exactly. That's the question to ask. Who, 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 is, who are they trying to keep in and who are they Council trying to keep Member out? Councilmember Winston. <laughs> He's coming up He's next. He's coming up next. Yeah, ask, ask him that. <laughs> ask him. <laughs> I want to talk about uh, how you all have been faring. And, and full disclosure, I've shopped in the, the Carver Market next door. I, I love it. I do have one suggestion, though. Uh-oh. Plantains? Plantains. Oh, plantains. Good suggestion. Good just, 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 we got gotcha. you. Just throwing that out uh, there, gotcha. you know, because it's just a like our plantains. Um, but how you all, how have you all been doing with inflation? Have you had to raise your prices, Jeff? We have, yeah. We have, I mean, we unfortunately have to pass that on to, to customers. And so um, I will say the harder than inflation was, so through the pandemic, the federal government had offered an increase in EBT mm -hmm. uh, food stamp money to which our you all uh, which we all take is a big part of our of mm -hmm. our, what our customers shop with, and so for for the last year and a half, I was able to watch families actually get enough food, right, yeah. and, and and not run out of, of money at the end of the month. So uh, and now that money's gone away. So we're back to the same old. Everyone's kind of looking. Oh, I got thirty dollars to spend. You know, it's got to last me two weeks. Uh, so losing that extra EBT funding that we had through the pandemic is, was probably harder than. I mean, inflation has just get passed on, right? So I can't. I can't tell you what effect that has. You have to talk to our customers. Uh, have you all had to help customers in tight situations? Oh, we always. Yeah, I mean, we always help. Uh, I mean, be that walking people's groceries home to them to uh, spotting them you know till next week to the next paycheck um yeah we're we're always i mean and part of being a neighborhood we can do that right so yeah. most folks that come into our store we know somehow so we're not just you know we're able in the same way that we joke around about you know yelling at someone's kid who's walking down the street well it's the same way that i can care mm -hmm. for the guy across the street who i know needs help which leads me to this because i have uh, i have a friend who's in the audience she's a small business owner over in, in decatur and off of memorial uh, lisa bob and she has a uh, we talk about this all the time the importance of small businesses in the community because what you just said and what you all are doing and i'm not saying that publics wouldn't do that but you all stepping in to, to help some folks households during the pandemic the importance of small businesses in the community, and particularly a community like this, what would you want folks to know about what you all are doing here? Beyond, you want to turn a profit, but it's much more than that. Yeah, it is much more than that. And I think businesses have a role in the neighborhood um, beyond just uh, selling what they're selling, right? Like they are, they are a citizen of the neighborhood just like you are as, as a resident, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think one thing that neighborhoods like South Atlanta, which don't historically have businesses that give back to the neighbors. So we have a lot of businesses in our neighborhood, but they're recycling plants, they're tow lots, they're corner stores that often take from our neighborhood and, and not give. Um, that businesses play a role in, in employment, in helping somebody out in a, in a pinch, in sponsoring the neighborhood what festival or whatever events going mm -hmm. on, but, um, and, and as well as giving a sense of identity, right? So mm -hmm. I would imagine if you ask the average person who lives within three or four miles of here, where is South Atlanta? They may not know. Mm -hmm. But if you say, hey, where's Carver Market? Right. All of a sudden now they're like, oh. And so it gives a sense of identity to a neighborhood, which is important for, for a neighborhood to come together. And I joke around, like when I was a kid, I hated going to the grocery store with my mom because she would always run into somebody that she knew. And that, that five or 10 minutes seemed like an hour. Right. right. But now I see and watch how these conversations, the other day we had, we had the principal come in and she saw one of her students working here. Mm -hmm. And that, that unplanned inter human interaction, they, they weren't a student and it wasn't a principal. There was two people mm -hmm. having a normal interaction outside of school. That is so valuable for our community that we are often robbed of that in communities like ours. What is this community's identity? Because I ask folks ask, about ask Atlanta's identity, and, and folks give you this long answer, but what is the South Atlanta neighborhood? What is this neighborhood's identity? And again, I think it's, it's the same as gentrification. It's too big of a thing to, to boil down into one little small, um, small thing. I think we, our identity is somewhat is we are 
we are kind of boxed in or, or boxed out, right? Similar to the fence, right? So yeah. we have train tracks on either side. The belt line's coming, but before, before it's the belt line, that is a divider, right? That was yeah. an old freight line. There was a, um, not CSX, uh, Norfolk Southern train right. line, and there's the highway. So we are, we are on the other side of most everything uh, in Atlanta. And so if you ask people, are we Southeast Atlanta? No, most folks think of Grant Park. If you yeah. say, hey, are we Southwest Atlanta? Most folks think of West End, Westview, and that side. And so this middle part here kind of lacks a, an identity a little bit, in part because it's so carved up by these institutional things that have happened purposefully mm -hmm. back in the 40s and 50s uh, that, that have kept it divided from. Uh, and so I think it struggles with that identity. Of who are we and how do we fit into the larger picture of Atlanta? So let me ask you, what is your hope? And, and everyone's going to get this question today on this program. What is your hope for this neighborhood, let's say, two years from now? So I hope that we can continue to be an affordable place to live. I hope that it, it will continue to change. But define affordable, because everyone that's been a guest on Closer Look, and I asked them to define affordable and affordability, you'll get two different answers. So I hope that if you want to stay here, you have options. That there's not, it's not prescribed that the only thing you can, you, the only option you have is to rent a $1,500 a month single family home. That you could, you could rent a studio apartment, you could rent a one bedroom apartment, you could rent a back, you could rent an ADU. Um, that you have options, that you're not just boxed into, I either gotta buy a home or I gotta rent a single family home, but I can, I can choose to get a roommate, or I can, but you have, you have options. So, so affordability is about options. Those options also rely on the representation. As mentioned, we're going to talk to an Atlanta City Council member in just a moment. New, the first term for this council member, but I want you to be very honest, which you've always been all the years I've known you. When you think about representation in the past, was this community overlooked by some of the things that you all wanted from your former council member? Um, so Carla was great. Carla was wonderful. Jason's great as well. Um, well, uh, <laughs> but, uh, council member Carla Smith, you said she was great, but I remember going to some folks over in other communities yeah. who said, you know, not so great because they felt like Grant Park and Ormwood got everything. And they said, Rose, and everybody's shaking their head. I'm not lying. Y'all know I can't lie. I'm live. You're going to so, get me in trouble, Rose. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not asking, I'm asking you to be honest, which you always were. But see, that's the thing. Great for you, but yeah. some blocks away, not great. And that's where equity comes in. And I'm not asking you to speak for her because she's not here. But that was a criticism. I th so from my lens, and it's, and it's just my lens, is that mm -hmm. the, the, the challenges that, that we face as a neighborhood are larger than what Carla could do, what Jason can do. That they are, they are systemic issues that have been here for generations. And that it's going to take more than what Jason can legislate from, from his seat or what Carla could do. It's going to take the entire, the entire city council, the entire, it's going to take the mayor to say, hey, look, like that highway, it's got to go. Uh, the train tracks, we got to build some ways around that yeah. train track, right? So they're about to build uh, a six-story affordable housing um, complex, literally a five-minute walk from here. Right. There's a train On the that other. parks there. Yeah. Who's going to fix that? Jason can't fix that, um, right? And so you're going to have 500 people who can't walk to a grocery store because the train stops there. And the closest way around is over a mile away. Right, and so and, and issues are bigger than transportation. Right. right, there's other things, but I think for for me, that uh, if you if we want to solve what really is going on in South Atlanta, it is bigger than what one person can do, and I and I get um, I get the feeling of hey, people's attentions are, are somewhere else. Right, I, I understand that, and I think I think there's some validity validity to mm -hmm. that. I also, if I'm honest, think there's some grass is greener. Um, to that as well, right? And what's, what is hard for me is knowing that, hey, South Atlanta, while important, and that it's very important to do because I live here, mm -hmm. the reality is we're a small neighborhood. We don't have that many people, right? And so some of the, an some of the answers to those challenges are we want, when we have more people living here, we'll have a bigger voice. Uh, and so, and that's... Um, well, and one might argue you may have a small community, but that doesn't mean that your issues aren't important. Exactly. And I know are, you're yes. not saying yeah. that. But you've, you've been here through how many administrations now? This is your third? I moved here. Um, who was for Shirley? What's, um, Bill Campbell. Bill Campbell. Yeah. yeah, so I moved here at the tail end. A lot of administrations, I, I, yeah. I've been here at the tail end of Bill Campbell's administration. I was very new to Atlanta. Who is this guy? What's he doing? He <laughs> <laughs> did a lot. <laughs> but Shirley's from Philly, so I appreciate Shirley. Yeah, she yeah, is. She will a, tell you she's from Philly. I know she will. That's yeah. why I like Shirley. <laughs> Are you from Philly? I am from Philly, yeah. Oh, come yeah. on. Eagles. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 11 to 1. Well, yeah. Finally. <laughs> About time. Well, we can't talk. Our Falcons no, 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 are. No, no, no. Uh, but anyway, let's talk. 
We get a lot of emails here. By the way, send me your emails, rose at wab.org. Uh, we're going to bring in Councilmember Winston up in just a second, but you talked about having a voice. If it's not just the council members, who else needs to speak up for this community? Well, I think that one thing I hope for is that we, we learn to get our voice, right? We learn how to. So I think some of it is knowing who to go to and how to go to those people, hmm. right? And so how do we as a neighborhood learn to use our voice in, in appropriate ways with the appropriate people. But this, is, but this is Atlanta. This is not Waterloo, Iowa. Yeah. This is Atlanta with a history. Yeah. And if I hear one more time, the city is too busy to hate <laughs> and all that other stuff, I mean, come on. You all shouldn't have to wait to get bigger to have a voice. Am I, I wrong? Say, Am I right, audience? Just let me know. I agree. Uh, um, and I'm not asking yeah. you to, you know, to lead the charge, it, it seems like it needs to be a, here we go again, a holistic approach. One thing I would, yes, I agree. I think, it, and what I, where we have grown over the years is learning how and who to, to talk to, not just yelling and trying to get attention, but having relationship, building, building that trust. So I talked about building trust with our neighbors, mm -hmm. but it's the same as we look to interact with our city, city council. Can we build trust and relationships with those people a big part of that too is public safety and I want to make sure we talk about that before I end this segment with you. I remember in 2020 and you all sustained some damage, correct? Was it? We did, yeah, right after the Rayshard Brooks murder yeah. um, um, that we had some, some of our windows were busted out. You didn't really, you didn't really raise a lot of sand about that. You understood the frustration here and you, as long as I've known you, you've always tried to be a part of the community. When all of that is going on in this community, and you think back, you know, what, what, how do you reflect on that and what happened? Um, so th that was a very surreal time. And we, mm -hmm. my wife and I and the kids talk about it a lot. It, it was unlike any other time in the neighborhood. And I think a large part was it was really the only time that we had a national scope on, on the neighborhood. Like people were, you know, we had all these people in the neighborhood. We had all these helicopters flying around, media everywhere. And... But including, you know, some of the some of the um, participants in all the stuff that was going on in the street weren't from our neighborhood, right? And so that happened, and it happened very close to us. But it never felt like this is our neighborhood doing this. Uh -huh. That we we are simply here, and it happened here, and we're we're suffering the collateral damage. But in 20 years of, of doing this work, that was the only time something like that has ever happened. And for me, it was a unique thing that wasn't really tied to to this place. Is there room? And I think I know the answer is: Is there room? for improvement, and I don't know how you feel about the term community policing. I kind of struggle mm -hmm. with that myself. But how do you assess the community policing? So, in, so in let, me, let me give you my definition of community policing. Uh, right? Please do. Um, so, when, so we run a store, yeah. right? And so every store deals with, with theft, mm -hmm. right? No, no retail store deals yeah. with that. I get that asked all the time. What about theft? I'm like, the, the Target and Buckhead probably gets more theft than any other store. So don't, don't define my neighborhood by theft. Gotcha. But what we do, instead of calling the police, is we will call the principal at the school. If it's a we, youth. We, if this is youth, we will mm -hmm. talk to their parents and we will say, hey, Jamal, today we, we caught him taking this thing of skittles. Here's the video. What do you want to do? We don't want, we don't want to call the police on him. It, we know it's not worth over a bag of skittles or a bag of Doritos. Mm -hmm. It's not worth starting that. And it's not going to solve a problem. So how are we going to solve this? And okay. so together with parents and together with the schools, we have been able to hopefully steer our young people in in places that they wouldn't have gone if we had just called the police you employ a lot of students from carver mm -hmm. in the summer too as well mm -hmm. yeah, so we're giving so a we're giving them something to do right yeah. to get them off the street uh but i think we've earned um, some respect from, from the students in that in that regard they know they're not going to be targets um here um and it's a little harder with adults right because we can't call their parents <laughs> but, um, uh, some you can but uh uh, but uh, so yeah, public safety is certainly is an issue, and people are um, um, are concerned about it yeah. uh, as they are anywhere. But I think, uh, and at, we've been fortunate to have a good relationship with our um, officers. We're also mm -hmm. very aware of how and when to use that and how and when not to use that. Um, Do you give them? I mean, I'm, I'm sure officers come in and, and they ask mm -hmm. how things are going. Do you give them some insight, saying, "Look, we don't." Mm -hmm. Or just call you when things are, you know, not going well. Yeah. We want you to come in and be, be seen in this community. So, again, to, uh, keep the theme of relationship going. So, we would build a relationship with our beat officers, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, 
we will know that Officer Peters is a new officer, and so he's been here numerous times. Uh, let me stop with Rick. Rick's over here. Um, what's up, Rick? Um, uh, and uh, we had Officer Gavin before that. So they get to know us. We get to know them. They know what our lens is, right? And they tell us when we're crazy and, no, Jeff, you need to do this. Or, uh, But they, they will listen to us and know that, hey, if something happens here, we're not overly concerned about um, – getting our stuff back we're more concerned about the person all right jeff depp director of economic development at focus community strategies which operates carver market and community grounds cafe thank you so much for joining us thank you for hosting closer look i really appreciate it we're going to come back in a moment again more plantains and some mangoes and some we have mangoes we have mangoes they had mangoes the other day when i was people bought them all i can't i can't have it i can't solve that one these mangoes are for rose scott got you we'll have a rose scott section separate little basket (laughs) (laughs) we're back in a moment Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. WABE in Atlanta continues as we broadcast live our Coffee Conversations tour of coffee shops in the metro area. By the way, let us know if you have a favorite coffee or tea shop because apparently the tea folks think I don't love them. That's not the case. I do. Just hit me up, rose at wabe.org. And today we're in South Atlanta, the South Atlanta neighborhood, and we're broadcasting live from Community Grounds Cafe. And this is part of Atlanta's district, which also includes Grant Park, Summerhill, Peoplestown, Lakewood, Chosewood Park, and Ormwood Park. And the council member that represents these neighborhoods is Jason Winston, currently in his first term, and he joins me now. Welcome. Hey, Rose. Hey there. Hey, everyone. Glad to be with you. Now, this has nothing to do with the show, but what I'm going to talk about anyway. I just learned mm-hmm. during the break, you and Jeff were telling me that I could take the plantains and throw them in the air fryer? Yes, you can. Absolutely. Nobody very, told very me that. Good. <laughs> you, got, you got to hook it up, Rose. You just put them in there, just, put a little sea salt on there. Little, little, little sea salt. Pick, pick your oil of choice. Uh, avocado oil? Yep, that works. Okay, make so it happen. walk me through this. So just... So do you have an air fryer first? Let's start there. Yes, I have an air fryer. <laughs> okay, just making sure. <laughs> Mr. Council Member, yes, so, I have an air fryer. So then you just, you know, you slice them up. Slice them up. Then you put your, your oil of choice on them. Yeah. Put some sea salt on them and just drop them in the just air fryer. Just drop them in the air fryer. Yeah. Nobody told me yeah. this. Yeah. Where y'all being, people? Y'all my people. You're supposed to tell me this. No, delicious. Hook well, of course, up. I got to get the plantains once Jeff gets yes, them. Yes, once Jeff gets them in. Tomorrow. They'll be here tomorrow. They're going to work on <laughs> Thank you so much for taking the time. I just want to get your thoughts on a couple of things. I asked Jeff Mm -hmm. about the identity of this South Atlanta neighborhood. And he said, you know, it varies depending on who you ask. How do you define this this neighborhood? The first thing that comes to my mind is the rich history of this neighborhood. I mean, a lot of people don't know that, you know, Clark Atlanta started right on Gammon you know, a block away from where we are. So there's a lot of rich history in this in this community. Uh, And it's something that, you know, that I'm I'm a history buff. So I love to just look at the history of Atlanta and and dive into it and understanding that there's an identity that's here. And and some of those people are still in the community that have been here for many years. And so um, it's understanding that history, but understanding that this city is progressing. And we want folks that have been part of this this community for a long time to be part of that progression. 
what are the concerns you have for this legacy community, as you mm -hmm. just described? Mm -hmm. um, cause in every neighborhood in Atlanta is either going through this or has gone through this. Maybe not Buckhead, but I mean, you know, not picking on them. Don't y'all start tweeting that. Uh, but this neighborhood, like so many others. Well, well the concern is the affordability aspect yeah. and, and people being able to stay in the community. Um, I, I mentioned those that have been here for a long time, and so they want to stay in this community. There's a lot of progression that's happening. They want to be part of that. They want, they want to see new amenities. Um, they don't want to be pushed out because those amenities are coming to their community. When you ran for office, you talked about the importance of public transit mm -hmm. and other mobility options, and Jeff and I were talking about that as well. And, you know, folks understand this. That is a big part of quality of life. If you can't get to a well-paying job because of transportation issues, that affects your household. Yes. And if you can't get to that well-paying job, perhaps that affects what you can afford in a mortgage or a rent. Yes, the transportation piece is important. Um, when I first moved to Atlanta over 22 years ago, I didn't have a car my first two years. So I relied on MARTA to get around and to have my first job. I worked at Lenox Mall at the Wilson's Leather Store um, at the time. So, I worked at Lids. Remember Lids? <laughs> yes, I remember. I, I sold baseball caps. So yeah. I, used to, I, ride, I used to ride the MARTA train from Summer Hill. Yeah. Um, where, I, where I would able to catch a bus and then I would go to Five Points and catch a train um, over to, to Lenox Mall. So I understand the importance of being able to get around. And so that has been something that I care deeply about, especially if we get into communities that are having issues with on-time service. Um, there's not trains that go everywhere. We, I mean, Atlanta's known for that. Right. Um, so, you know, the expansion piece is important. But we've got good things coming, like the BRT, the bus rapid transit train that are, uh, bus rapid trains that are, are we call them the buses, but right. they're, they're coming to the neighborhoods such as in Summer Hill. So yeah. I want to see those expanded, but we have to do them right. Um, and we want, want people to be able to, uh, you know, get around the city and get to their jobs. I want to stick with this for a moment because I want to talk about infrastructure because, you know, every year when, or every other year when we have the, the T-SPLOS and all these other SPLOS and, mm -hmm. and we're all voting to pay for that extra penny. And then I get emails, well, Rose, my neighborhood still doesn't have sidewalks or one neighborhood is hollering about, we need bike lanes. You look at the infrastructure now, mm -hmm. in terms of that, how do you assess what needs to happen for this community? Because there are some neighborhoods, I, I've walked around here and I'm like, where are the sidewalks? They're coming. Um, so, you know, we just moved the, past the moving Atlanta forward infrastructure. Okay, they're coming, but it's, it's almost it's, 2023. No, I can't speak what will happen prior to when I that got in fair. office. But that is fair, that is fair, that is fair. But what I can say is that this council is you know we want transparency and accountability of the projects that are coming so we actually pass legislation to make sure that um, there's a timeline that there's transparency that the community knows knows when these projects are going to happen and so um, we want the public to know when they're going to happen and we're working towards you know making sure that we get these projects done your first term mm -hmm. uh, on council what's been the learning curve for you here and how things get done you know um, I will say the first part of it is how slow things move, right? You, you're, you're alluding to that now. I think um, Doug, is Doug Shipman here? He, he hiding <laughs> yes, over in the he, corner. He, Atlanta he, City he, Council he, President Doug Shipman. Oh, don't be waving your hand. He's back there in the cut. Yeah, he's but, learning too. He, he's, but you, you understand that there's, um, you know, we, we could try to get rid of some of the bureaucracy, and, and I will give, you know, Mayor Dickens uh, credit. He's made some good appointments, including, you know, our new procurement um, commissioner who is working to shorten timelines for projects across the city. And so, you know, we're going to start seeing a lot of things start to happen a lot more quickly as we cut back on the project timelines and start getting projects throughout the city of Atlanta going. I have a listener who emails me who says, look, Rose, I understand what you were saying about uh, Councilmember Carla Smith, but the, the matter of the fact is Lakewood has been overlooked. You know, I can't speak to my predecessor. I, I mean, having been in this job, I mean, you've got over 40,000 people that are vying for your attention on a daily basis. And so you try to be in as many places and try to be as present as you can. Um, one of the goals that I had was to make sure that I spent a lot of my physical time in a lot of the underserved communities, just so they knew that I was here, that I was really ready to roll up my sleeves and help them as much as I could, um, and that they knew they could call me. Uh, and so that's something that's been a goal of mine is to just be present. Have you been over in Lakewood? Have you talked to those folks? Yes, I have. What have you heard? They, first, you know, public safety has been a big concern over in the, in the Lakewood community. And so we've had a lot of public safety meetings. We've brought in, you know, the police major. We've brought in people from various different departments to try to, you know, let them know that this is who you call if you have issues. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the Atlanta Police Department has over a 400 police officer deficit. Yes. You know, 
they're short staffed. Mm -hmm. And so we, we have done measures to make sure that we've got, you know, more police presence in certain neighborhoods. You know, we're even uh, partnering with other jurisdictions like Georgia State University uh, to get bicycle patrols in neighborhoods. So we're, we're starting to think outside the box in terms of how we address public safety concerns. How have you, if you've come up with approach, an approach, because you have a lot of neighborhoods, you have a lot of MPUs that are pulling on you. Mm -hmm. So how do you or plan to ensure that you don't get the emails that I get? Oh, Grant Park, and I've got these emails. Sure. Grant Park gets everything. Mm -hmm. Armwood gets everything. What about us? How are you going to make sure that you, you can at least be in conversations with all these neighborhoods that you represent? So, so part of it for me was, and I think, you know, we're in South Atlanta, and so every neighborhood in District 1, there's so many historic neighborhoods, um, they, they're, they're their own tribe, you know. South Atlanta, you got people. It's like Wakanda. Is there all these different yeah. tribes yes. over there? And, yeah. And so, so, for, so, so often and for so long, they, they've kind of operated in silos. And, and I've kind of used the moniker One District One. And it's about being able to see more than just your neighborhood. You should see other neighbors. So, for instance, Grant Park, you have unique issues, but I want you to see that there are other issues in other parts of the district that are important, or maybe even more important than some of the things that you're concerned about. Because there was a time when did nobody want to move in Grant Park. Let's be really clear. I've been here for a long time. It was mm -hmm. I was looking for places like, well, you don't want to go here. You don't you don't want to go there. And now, you know, Grant Park is hot. Mm -hmm. Edgewood is hot. I I remember I would play basketball in Edgewood with my friends, and they were like, you better get out of this neighborhood. I'm like, well, ain't nobody checking for us. We're just playing ball. Sure. But now there are million-dollar townhomes mm -hmm. off of Edgewood. Yeah. That's insane. It is. And, I mean, Atlanta is, is on fire, but District 1 is really on fire. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so much development coming, uh, coming. I mentioned the BRT. We have the next portion of the paved belt line coming yeah. to this district. And so we've got a lot of new developments. Uh, Jeff talked about some that are coming in the area. Just to give you an example, um, within, a, within, a, within a mile of here, you've got about 10,000 units of housing that are coming within the next two years. And so affordable? So a large portion of that is affordable because of the lessons we learned about Beltline and adding in affordability in those projects. So we do have affordable housing coming into the district. What is the lesson to be learned about the, the good, the bad, and the challenging with the Beltline? So I think the first piece is that, you know, we looked at the east side and it, and it developed so quickly mm -hmm. that everything was reactionary. Um, we had a unique opportunity because we knew this portion wasn't happening for a long time to, to figure out how do, how do we look at the affordability piece? Um, how do we look at the transportation piece, not just about the Beltline, but about connectivity to other neighborhoods? Right. And so, you know, that's partner up with like the PATH Foundation, which we've done and Jeff has been um, very instrumental in a lot of those conversations saying, the Beltline paved part ends here, but how do we connect that to, say, a, a community grounds where people are wanna, gonna wanna go? And Lakewood. And Lakewood, right, right. correct. Okay, so if you're working on a housing piece, but there's another piece of that, and that is folks wanna live and work mm -hmm. in their community. Jeff can only hire so many people. He would love to hire 100 people, mm -hmm. he can't. But for those businesses that, that come, and I'm not talking about the big developers, mm -hmm. but also for the, you wanna get small businesses to look at this community, but you gotta also make sure they have incentives. If you give incentives to, here we go with the M word, Microsoft. Yes. Sorry about that, uh, President Shipman. <laughs> um, you know, or another developer coming out of New York who's gonna develop, you know, West End Mall, whenever that happens. How do you make sure small businesses get that same type of attention? So we, we have a, a great organization within the city of Atlanta and Best Atlanta that has all types of great resources for small businesses. You know, they've got grants that people can get for improvements. They've got low interest loans. Um, right now, they even introduced a new program where business owners can get um, down payment assistance up to $200,000 to be able to purchase uh, commercial property. Really? And so I think what we haven't done is a good job of being able to get the word out yeah. about these programs. And so, you know, that's on council, that's on the mayor's administration to make sure that we get out in the community, we talk to folks who are interested and starting their own businesses so that they know about the type of programs that are available to them. Why did you want to run for council? You know, I tell folks I, I, I went COVID crazy. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I have been a longtime community volunteer, um, volunteered and mentored at Boys and Girls Clubs. I've been the former Grant Park Conservancy board chair. Um, and I just really fell in love with, with volunteering and giving back. That's what my parents instilled in me. That's what my grandparents did. And so, you know, giving back to community was always something that I wanted to do. And during this time, 
you know, I wanted to do it at a higher level. Gotcha. Um, Councilmember um, Smith was, was, was leaving her position, and so I saw it as an opportunity to step in and really be able to, you know, put my fingerprints on the community that I love. I'm going to ask you the same question I asked Jeff. What is your hope for this community in two years? My, my hope is that, you know, the, the progress that we see, that it is an opportunity for people who want to be here. He talked about that. Um, affordability is about being able to make the choice. But I think that for the people who choose to be in this community, that they, they have a seat at the table, that they're able to kind of see the fruits of the labor that they've had for so long advocating to see improvements. Beyond having a seat at the table, because mm -hmm. sometimes you can get invited just because it looks good, mm -hmm. but then when you get to the table, they don't let you talk. Sure. <laughs> no, we, people are talking. And, All right. You know, we're meeting with folks in the community. Um, we're letting them know that they have a voice. Um, you know, for developers coming to me, I'm letting them know they need to go meet with the community first. Um, because oh, who's come start... to you? Can you tell us? Oh, I won't, I won't name names. <laughs> come on. But, but you know, if, they, if they're calling me, they need to be calling the they community They call you first. and they say, hey, you know, you want to build a XYZ, and you say talk to the community? And I say talk to the community first. And then what do they say? Oh, I, you know, you know, they say different things, but <laughs> <laughs> I say you got to go talk to the community first. What is your one suggestion to the NPUs who carry really carry influence and, and 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 I've heard things about MPUs the MPU structure needs to mm -hmm. change I think there were some suggestions made by a local organization in terms of this model needs to change I mean it's been around for since Maynard Jackson mm -hmm. you know this was his idea yeah. what, what is your hope for NPUs and, and how they can work with you yeah. all and, and it's so important you bring up Maynard Jackson John H Calhoun mm -hmm. who was the first African-American in my seat was the one who introduced that legislation yeah. and so it's something that I really think about you know how do we get more community involvement and make and strengthen those NPUs. I think the first part is making sure that they're more inclusive. Mm -hmm. You know, for for a long time we've had a lot of the same leadership um, in positions making decisions for community. And so I think you know Zoom. We live in a Zoom world now, yeah. so we're starting to kind of see things go more hybrid. And what we saw was more participation from people who hadn't normally been able to participate in the in the meetings. And I think that's important. I want to get your get you on record for this, and, mm -hmm. and so please forgive me. Uh -oh. I'm give you okay. a warning while they're making coffee, yes. um, should community benefits, should that be a binding agreement that developers actually have in writing with communities? Should it be something that is a binding agreement that's in writing? Because so many neighborhoods have been promised this, that, and the third from said developer, said development, and then it came online, and they got nothing. Yeah, I think if you are getting any type of government assistance or any incentives, then yes, I think there should be um, community benefits that go back to that community because taxpayers are pouring their Should it be of, a binding agreement? No, I think it should be binding. Okay. I, I agree. I think if you are getting any type of incentives, um, then it should be a binding agreement and I think you should be willing to give back to the community, not just coming in being a speculator, building something trying to in, that has a business in the community. You should mm -hmm. be part of that community as well. All right. What do you want folks to know about your commitment to this community, Councilmember Winston? You know, I, I'm in my dream job. You know, I talked about why I got into this position. Um, I get to help people every day. Uh, I get yelled at in between a little bit, between helping folks every day, but I, I enjoy it. Um, this is something that I've always wanted to do, and I'm able to do it at a high level. Um, I'm working with in a group, new group of folks on council um, that most of us are in lockstep. We're working together. Everybody just wants to get something done and, and, and to keep seeing progress in this, in this city. How do you deal with criticism? You know, you, you internalize it. Um, you know, I tell folks all the time, don't wait until you're, you know, you're so angry at me that, you know, about decisions I made. Let me know. Let's have conversations. Uh, Jeff is a good example. I get tweets from him on a, on a weekly basis. Yeah, Jeff will tweet. Come on. <laughs> oh, yeah. Wait, come on. <laughs> Jeff stay busy on the Twitter. Oh, yeah. he's, he's really on Twitter. He's got a whole Twitter crusade of folks um, that will kind of let you know where, where you stand with them. And so I appreciate that. I want to know um, if I'm not living up to the expectations that you want me to. They have your phone number? Yep. If, if they should. If not, <laughs> you know, they can always get it. All right. Jason Winston. Atlanta City Council Member District 1, thank, thank you so much for taking time. I really appreciate I, I really it. I appreciate you. All right. Stay with us, y'all. Yep. We have another segment coming up. By the way, I have gift. I feel like a commercial disc jockey. I have gift cards for everybody. Uh, we have gift cards that we are going to actually, I'm going to walk around, just hand you a Community Grounds gift card. Now, if you really want to make sure I get to, you get a gift card, go find me some plantains. Uh, <laughs> And then we can do that. And speaking of plantains, you know, I, 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 it's interesting 
when you ask people about urban farming, you'll get a different definition about, well, what exactly is urban farming? What, is it, what does it entail? And, and what are we going to do with it? Well, I am pleased now to be welcomed by Malcolm Benson. He's co-founder of Grape Roots. Malcolm, welcome. I appreciate you taking the time. Oh, thank you for having me. Yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, urban farming, define it. Uh, we're defining it as a farming community in the middle of the city. Yeah. Like I said, we're, we've been here quietly making noise for about seven years. Yeah. Um, it's a 501c3. Mm -hmm. uh, it was birthed out of just meeting the individual at a bar one night mm -hmm. and just talking about sustainability, eating, and growing. And just so happened, I had just bought some land across the street from my house yeah. because they wouldn't cut the grass. And I called for four years. Who'd you call? Uh, the sign and mm -hmm. I kept calling I kept calling and then after four years they called and they said make an offer on the land and now this is here in the south this is what 2010 or 2008 when the, yeah. the market was crashing and not long after they let me purchase the land I had two children we cleared out the land and then I met my co-founder uh, Tasha Temple and she's a dietitian mm -hmm. and diabetes counselor how important is that when we have these conversations about, we don't say food deserts anymore, we talk mm -hmm. about food equity being a, a, a civil rights issue. You agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Um, and not until you, like, you live in an area like that, with, uh, they're talking about you have to walk far to get to groceries and everything, especially fresh groceries. Mm -hmm. So that's what they hear to do at Carver Market is great. Now, we don't sell ours, we donate ours yeah. um, because there's a whole bunch of legal tape work before you start selling it. Um, but individuals, like, when you start eating fresh yeah. and you start living that type of lifestyle, uh, it's a, a effect that can happen, and that's why we started with the children doing that. What are y'all doing at Grape Roots to get the word out? And then also I think people, when they think of urban farming, they think, oh, you got to have a whole lot of land and, you know, what We're on a tenth of an play? acre. Yeah. We're, on, we're on a tenth of an acre. Really? It used to be a house that burnt down. Um, and we just started plowing, cutting the grass, digging up. Even to this day when it rains, forks, knives, baby dolls, clothes, everything that we bring. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's what it, um, but we've been able to get the word out. Um, we partner with different schools in the area. We, um, one of my mentors, Mayor Franklin, introduced me to FCS Ministries. And so they started coming over um, in the spring um, every other Wednesday. Uh, about 20 individuals from the age 5 to 18 yeah. and they started working in our garden so we have a plot that's right across the street an individual he doesn't live there there's no house on there and I saw him cleaning up and I said hey let me get that lot too he wouldn't sell it to me but he said if you clean it out you can make your garden there too so we have the kids come over there they're not allowed to wear gloves because um, I want, them to, get in the I want dirt. them to be in the dirt yeah. and, and we've had we also partner with uh, Tuskegee Airmen Global Academy over there on um, the West End. Mm -hmm. um, we actually were the APS partner cluster of the Washington cluster partner of the year this year. We just got awarded that. So, Congratulations. Oh, thank you. So, yeah, yeah so we, um, like I said, we tried to get our word out by just going around and just seeing open land and opportunities. Now, I know y'all don't have any plantains over there. No, again, we don't. But uh, what y'all, my, my granddaddy would say, what y'all growing over there? Uh, we grow the season. Yeah. Uh, what, what, um, so right now, all of, of course, tomatoes and peppers are gone. Now we're doing leafy greens. Uh, we've uh, partnered with Foodwell Alliance. We just planted about 15 uh, fig trees, apple trees, pear trees, blueberry bushes, a blackberry. So we had some volunteers from Emory Grad School and undergrad and helped us uh, plant those. How important has that been to this community, Malcolm? Uh, I want to say it's been very important because the, the children that have been around here, they see us. Um, but we're kind of hitting a little bit on Grape Street. That's where we got it. Yeah. Um, but pre-pandemic, we would shut down Grape Street on Saturdays and invite kids from the neighborhoods and other places to come do scavenger hunts um, yeah. in the garden so they can learn about it and learn how to eat it. So we don't wash the food off because we don't use, it's real, real organic. So we teach the kids to eat directly from the vines. You know, and, and so we have a program called Seed to Feed. Yeah. And we're trying to partner with Kieran Carver where the kids, they're gonna take it from the seeds, grow it, and then they're gonna learn how to sell it. Now, I'm not trying to teach you how to be a farmer per se. Right. Uh, I'm gonna teach you how the world works. 
So when you go see a tomato and they, all your tomatoes look the same, but they don't look at grapefruit the same, well, those have been mass produced. And they have a different taste as well. A very different Because if you've taste. had a tomato out of a garden, is so different than you go into a grocery store. Oh, absolutely. Store. Wait until you taste my eggs. And I have four hens, too. Um, I train them just like you would train a dog. So they know how to go, how far down the street to go both ways. You let your hens just roam They're all over South Atlanta? Free roaming hens. Yeah, well, not South Atlanta. <laughs> they don't, you know, they're territorial, so you can't just come down Grape Street and just be like, hey. Yeah, you <laughs> wayward hens. you got to talk to. Yeah. <laughs> just hens running all hens over and down the street. Yeah, if, you, if anybody in the area, you'll see my hens. Oh, those are Malcolm's hens. Don't yeah, bother them. Yeah, they call me Farmer Mac. They're the little Farmer <laughs> Mac's hens. But we also donate our eggs, too, so they still produce eggs all year round. You all own that property. I'm going to ask you the same question. Do you have folks coming in trying to say, hey, do you have a price? Absolutely. All the time. Because I said my house is right across the street from it. So How much they want to give you? Not enough. Because there's not enough. Good. You can, there's Good not answer. enough in there. <laughs> so, yeah. How important is it for you to stay in this community? And, and what is your hope for this community, let's say, two years from now? I've been here 16 years. Um, I built me and four of my Alpha Frat brothers from FAM, Morehouse, and Hampton, where I went. We built houses here um, 16 years ago, wow. and we've seen it grow. Uh, we've seen the diversity of it, um, which is very important to see it. And so, but with the um, with the garden, we're trying to bring a different aspect to that the learning. Um, so that other people can do the same thing. I, I just met a group of individuals that have chickens and they're doing the same thing. So we well, was you and these hands and these just, chickens, Malcolm. <laughs> but you know, and um, but it's, it was important for children to see that, and that's our motto: is grow, eat, and sustain. Yeah. So even if you're, you weren't raised like that, yeah. um, like so, we have a project right now where we're doing a hundred families at Tag Academy next wow. week where I'm going to teach them how to plant. We're just gonna start with herbs, the rosemary, some basil, and everything that you can keep, because a lot of people are in apartments. Lavender, I love lavender. You do love lavender? Yeah. Oh, my co-owner, she's allergic to it, so we can't do lavender. Oh. I'm just kidding. <laughs> By the way. Shout out to Tasha Temple, but yeah, we can't holiday do lavender. Gifts, holiday gifts for your favorite public radio host. I can do that. With lavender? I can do that, I can do that. So. And I'm gonna get you a sweatshirt too, so you can help promote us. This I cause. All right. Yeah. Malcolm, thank you so much for what you all are doing at Grape Roots in this community. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much no. for joining us today. I really appreciate it. No, thank you for this platform. All right. <laughs> and that is it for this edition of Closer Looks Coffee Conversations, broadcasting live from Community Ground Cafe in South Atlanta. Listen, a huge bucket of gratitude for the entire Community Grounds Cafe staff for welcoming WABE, Jeff Delp, Carissa Woodruff, Brittany Pearson, Myra Hollis, Shane Lewis, and Tanisha Smith. Also, a special thanks to our engagement partners for Coffee Conversations with Rose Scott, the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. They are here. Our WABE multi-platform team, Samantha, Brian, and Perry. Perry's got a really cool dog named O'Hara. I just love her. Our Closer Look producers, Daniel, LaShawn, Pat St. Clair. Our engineers, Kevin Rinker, Richard Firth, and Micah Middleton. And a reminder, you can catch this broadcast later tonight at 7 p.m. and in our podcast. So subscribe to her. Wherever you subscribe to podcasts, make sure you get us. Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE Atlanta. On behalf of the entire WABE team, Amplifying Atlanta, thank you, South Atlanta. I also, I also want to give a, a shout out real quick. I want Chelsea to come up here for a second because, you know, we have this new tagline, Amplifying Atlanta, right? Y'all know that, right? And, and you know that doo-doo-doo that y'all hear? That's the doo-doo-doo voice. <laughs> so, 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 so Chelsea, can you do that live? Can you do the doo-doo-doo live for us? Here, I'll do the guitar too. All right. There you go. <laughs> Stay tuned to 90.1 WABE Atlanta. Thank you, Community Grounds. I'm Rose Scott.
Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. The Gold Dome Scramble podcast is now plugged in, a WABE politics podcast. New name, same on-the-ground reporting from us, WABE politics reporters Sam Greenglass and Raul Bally. We'll cover local, state, and national politics as we talk to politicians and voters to break down each week's biggest headlines. New episodes drop on Fridays. Listen and subscribe at WABE.org or your favorite podcast platform. WABE.